Hello, I'm Jeff Lester, and welcome to Wait, What? A comics podcast for the Savage Critics website. In the first of our ninth episode's two installments, Graham McMillan and I briefly touch on all the great things the Pacific Northwest has to offer. Brian Bendis in the first issue of Scarlet, Portland, Oregon, Seattle, Washington, Mudhoney, and of course, the Green River Killer. After that, we discuss the first trade paperback of Dark Avengers, Daredevil's current Shadowland story arc, the first three issues of Secret Avengers, Spider-Man in One Moment in Time, and Paul Cornell in Action Comics. We hope you enjoy it, and thanks for listening. I have to say, when you call me on Skype, mm-hmm. I know I've said this before, it sings that you have an incoming call from Jeff Webster, and I know yours doesn't when I call you. Yes. I always thought it was because I'm on a Mac and you're on a PC. That's sort of what I, I thought too. No, Kate's got a, a Mac as well, and hers doesn't sing either. We can find no difference in our settings that makes sense. <laughs> I think I have a magical computer that just wants to sing. <laughs> well, let me tell you, if anyone was, like, best served by that, like, I can't imagine a better person to end up with a magical singing computer than you, Graham. It's, that... I'm, I'm so happy, I can't tell you. <laughs> so... First of all, hello, listeners. Hello, listeners. Welcome to another episode of Wait What? Uh, I'm I'm going to now break the fourth wall for a second by saying, listeners, Jeff and I have just talked for like 15 minutes and then started the podcast. In the break between starting the podcast and talking, I have downed an entire glass of water because I'm so incredibly thirsty. So if at any point I continue to do that and you just hear slurping, (laughs) okay. It's really warm in Portland. Yeah, I know. It's warmer there than it's been here. I hear you guys are like suddenly I, like it's... I, like last night we had a barbecue. We had friends over for barbecue. Mm-hmm. And it was it was like raining. It was beautiful weather. It's that comedy thing where like, it's beautiful weather. You say you're going to have friends over for barbecue and it rains. <laughs> like yesterday it was overcast. It was raining at like five o'clock. And I was like, what the hell is this? Seriously, this only happens in badly written sitcoms. And today it's like 80 degrees again. <sighs> Portland, I'm telling you, it's it's not just Comic City, it's messed up weather city. Oh yeah, Uh, it seems to be, (laughs) messed up weather city seems to be its claim to fame for years, and uh, it doesn't hesitate to break that sort of stuff out, which is kind of amazing. Well, there you go, that's why Brian Michael Bendis is so popular, he just can't deal with the weather, he sits inside and writes. Hey, supposedly it's, that's supposed to be like, a good thing, right? You know? What, Brian Michael Bendis staying inside and writing? I guess. <laughs> <laughs> You've read Scarlet. You know what it does to his head. Come on. Actually, that's a great thing. I didn't. I didn't read Scarlet. <laughs> um, did you read the in- the Invisibles like fifteen years ago? Yes. So imagine that, right? With Ferris Bueller's Day Off. No, not even Ferris Bueller's Day Off. <laughs> with like um, with Alex Maleev art, and right. Alex Maleev like has a new. Let's call her a muse in inverted commas to be polite. Mm-hmm. Um. And that's pretty much Scarlet. Like I was, I was horribly un, uh, underwhelmed by Scarlet. Oh yeah, yeah. It, for all the hype, and I, I, I should know better than to fall for Brian Michael Pence's hype. But I, I, when he was like, you know, I'm breaking the fourth wall, and Marvel execs were so excited by the way I've done the origin that they want to do it in all their books. I was like, well, if nothing else, this is going to be interesting, and it's not really. Like it might. That's not true. It might be interesting if you are, you know. 15 years younger than me and you have the same experience I had when I read The Invisibles. You know, it, it might honestly be like a generally generational or age thing. 
Right. Like I underwhelmed because I've read this sort of thing before. Right. right. But um, yeah, I, I was I was nonplussed. As they say. As they say. Yeah. No. I think at some point I just realized uh, I'm just going to stop doing this to myself. I. You know. I mean. No harm, no foul, but I think I, I'm I'm having uh, powers taken off my pull list. That's pretty much oh. the last Bendis thing that I was reading. Yeah, really? What, what about like the Avengers books? I thought you liked them. Uh, you know, I liked Powers. Um, I liked Powers pretty much right up until he until the super long delay, uh, and then when oh, it the, came... the, the, it's come back and then it disappeared for like a year. Yeah. Something like that. So pretty much it like it came out from Icon and then there was, you know, I, I don't know what happened with the shipping. But at that point, I was just like, it's been too long. I'm done. I have no emotional connection to the characters, to the storylines. The, the things are just sort of annoying ticks to me. Like, I like Mike Avon Emming's art. And I, I particularly think... You know, I always felt that, like, Bendis was being a little more hands-on in terms of the panel layouts because the stuff really reminded me of the, the stuff that he used to do for um, Torso or Jinx or something, you know. Yeah. But, but yeah, ultimately, I just kind of, like, I, I stopped giving a crap. I kind of felt like the the... I don't. I'm not invested in the characters. I'm not invested in his story. And all I see are a bunch of annoying ticks and a couple of obsessions that I just generally think are creepy. Like I, I think I've bitched about it before and maybe it's just me, but there's just this whole, I don't, I don't know. There's, there's something about the way the sex is, sex is handled in powers that just feels kind of, um, just kind of immature and dumb. And it just, I just end up finding the whole thing really tedious. So ultimately after reading like, Three, the last two or three issues in a row, which I, I had pretty much stockpiled and not enjoying it, I was just like, "Yeah, that's it. I just, I'm not going to enjoy. I'm just going to, I'm going to stop having this bold, you know. Mm. So maybe, maybe I'll be better served by letting it sit for a while and then picking up a couple of trades or something. Um, I, I'm sort of going the opposite way. I, I've uh, had a new resurgence of my interest in Bendis purely because of Ultimate Spider-Man. Which I I think is really really good now and better than it's been in in a few years. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, partially because I think the art's spectacular. I think David Lafuente just he could draw almost anything and at least get my attention. Mm-hmm. Um, but also it just it just seems much fresher. It seems. Are, are you following it or are you? Are no you no no no. Yeah, that was one that I I I quit Ultimate Spider Man because he's made it into Ultimate Spider Man and his amazing friends, which right. is what I love. Yeah, you told me that, and I was like, "Really? That sounds sort of like a fun hook." But uh, and so I like I, I find it. I I think it's it's a, an interesting book, mm-hmm. uh, and I'm enjoying that so much. I was like, you know, Scarlet. There's all the hype. You know, I can't. How bad can it be? And the answer is, it's not even that bad. It's just dull. Right. Right. Um, and part of it is also, I think there's a, I think there's an incredible self consciousness in it. I, I think it's a very. I think there's a level of him saying, you know, this is Portland urban young culture. And and it feels very much like a mid-30s, early-40s man's idea of Portland urban young culture, you know? Mm-hmm. I, I, th- I think Portland culture is now becoming like a commodity. Especially, right. you know, you heard about the IFC series, Portlandia? Jesus, no, I didn't. IFC are doing a sitcom based upon Portland alternative culture. 
Um, with Fred Armiston from Saturday Night Live. It's a sitcom, so it's presumably going to be taking the piss out of it. But, like, the idea that that's a thing, that that's real, just shows how ridiculously commodified Portland has suddenly become. Great. Congratulations. You guys are the new Seattle. Yeah. I look forward to our producing (laughs) Mud Honey. For Mud Honey and Seattle ones? I know they're grunge, but I I think you might have picked it correctly. I think Mud Honey, you could have, I think, safely said Alice in Chains, I believe, is also Seattle. Wikipedia! Yes. Quick. Who can Exactly. Quick. Quick. Keep talking. Oh, hi. Uh, Seattle. There you go. Farms in Seattle in 1988. Following the demise of Green River. Is that a person? I don't know. No, wait, Green River? No, no, no. I'm assuming that's the a band that was named after that. Uh, I'm, I'm looking the... them up. Yes, they were an American rock band also from Seattle that was active from 1984 to 1988. Right, and, named, and named from after the, the river up in Washington, right? Uh, no, it was named after the then-at-large serial killer of the same name. Well, right, the Green River killer, who, because he, he killed by Green River. Along the Green River, right? Are, wait, are, are you making that up or not? No, no, no. I, I that's the okay, that's I, why I, they call I, him I, the Green I'm River Killer. Um, his name was Gary Leon Ridgeway. Uh, he murdered numerous women in Washington during the 1980s and 90s. He mm-hmm. was a big Mud Honey fan. Uh, <laughs> let's see. Did you make that part up? No, it's definitely in Wikipedia. If if it's not, I will add it when I'm finished talking, and it will be. <laughs> um, wow, he murdered forty-eight people. It's it was huge. That's it was... He entered a guilty plea forty-eight people. Who knows how many he actually murdered? Right. Uh, wow, that's just yeah. There you go. The victims were found along the Green River. Yeah, that's see. just yeah, yeah. That's why. Of course, yeah, no. the, it's a Lifetime Network aired a TV movie loosely based on his crimes. Called the capture of the Green River. Ah yes, ah yes. I see. Uh, I, and he was played by John Pielmere, who was an American playwright. Green River. I'm, I've gone down like the, the, no, the no. Of just following every <laughs> Come back to us, Graham. Come uh, back. Um, the short version, anyway, was uh, I think you can quite happily miss Scarlet. Right. There you go. Getting okay. back to comics. Yes. Um, thank you. Uh, yeah, and I think, well, you know, uh, perhaps perhaps we can, since we're already talking about comics and we're already um, talking, interestingly enough, I, I think I, I mentioned uh, to you in an email or on Twitter or something that I, I've sort of started following your advice and sort of grabbing I, graphic we've, novels we've out of We've emailed about it and you're writing about it on Savage Critics, which oh, is actually where I found out about it. You're, you said it's Savage Critics and I was like, he didn't even tell me in person. <laughs> I, I have to find out that after giving me shit about this for like a year, I have to find out on Savage Critics. That's 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 what classy you move, Jeff. Classy move. That's what you do after you give someone shit, Graham. You try and avoid exactly. really fessing true. up to it after the fact. <laughs> I'm giving shit. I'm actually doing it as well. <laughs> I'll give you that. So, what are you getting at library? Well, currently I have out the uh, that um, Simon and Kirby Sandman Omnibus. Uh, oh, was... I almost got that the other day. I saw that in, in the local library here, and I almost got it. And then yeah. completely chickened out, because I was like, I don't really like really early Kirby. You know, I, I'm very torn on it, because, yeah, I'm not, I'm not crazy about his stuff with, with, uh, with Simon. Although, interestingly enough, I had a, a real interesting time reading 
the first three issues of Captain America from you know the 40s uh, mm-hmm. on my iPhone, which I'm trying to figure out how to work that into. Probably end up being a Savage Critic column, I think. But, so, to tie this back to Bendis, one of the things that I ended up checking out was the first volume of uh, the first trade paperback of Dark Avengers. How um, is that? Because that, that, people like that. People did like that. And I can kind of see why uh honestly because um you know it it moves along at a really good decent clip um uh, i think mike diodato has sort of strengthened his chops as a storyteller like i always thought he was kind of his stuff was kind of pretty in a sort of bloodless airless kind of way but there was no real like I always felt like it was kind of not particularly disciplined. Like he'd spend, like if he went too far in one direction, he basically ended up doing Greg Landisms, which he seemed very fond of dark Avengers, his storytelling. There's some, some kind of nice layouts and, and just, you know, the storytelling overall. And um, he's got his, his character characters, body language are a little less stiff or much less stiff, I guess, when compared to Greg Land. So, and Bendis, for his part, tells a pretty. He's he, you know, he's got a, a good hook to to hang everything on. He, you know, sort of taking over from where uh, Warren Ellis left off with Norman Osborn in Thunderbolts. You know, he he really has a, where he wants to take this character. And interestingly enough, the most um, there's there's a I don't know six page sequence or something like that. That's a um, in which Norman Osborn sort of, you know, talks the sentry into um, being sane and essentially working for Osborn. And it it really is, I mean, it's like, it's a six-page sequence. It's huge. I mean, you know, for what it, for what's really just two people talking. But... Mm-hmm it really works quite well. Like Bendis has a really good sense of Osborne, whatever, you know, I think whether or not I necessarily agree with, you know, the centuries role in the Marvel universe, I always felt that if nothing else, at least Bendis had a very consistent take on what he wanted to do with the character. And this is, I should hasten to add based on very mild, you know, like based reading the character's reappearance in new Avengers and, following that for 15, 20 issues until I just gave up. But, um, so Dark Avengers is not terrible. It is certainly well worth checking out, like, uh, under, uh, reading it, a, a big chunk of it in, in, like, checking it out of the library, reading it and turning it back was terrific, because I don't really feel much of a need to own the stuff. But Exactly, yeah. But what was fascinating to me also at the same time is having said all that praise, um there's also still a pretty good case to be made for uh, all this. There, there's a, there, it may not be a particularly good comic, you know? I mean, like, there's... Because, you know, I, I think we've, we've gone over this before, so I, I totally won't, you know, bore you or the listeners at such great lengths, but I, I find it fascinating to me Bendis's plotting for team books never quite lines up. Like, if this w- had... If Dark Avengers had just been, like... I don't know, Dark Osborn or something like that. You know, Norman Osborn, head of S.H.I.E.L.D., and he's sort of dealing with a few characters and pushing them around, and 
it would be okay, but you know, kind of as a team book, it's very hard to get much of a sense of who everyone else is apart from, you know, they're kind of vaguely the guys who talk like street toughs. You know, there's Morrison's, um, you know, Marvel boy who seems utterly lost, at least in the first arc, as opposed to, to what he is doing there. Mm-hmm. And the stories especially seem really weird. Um, have you have you did you follow Secret Avengers the first three issues of that or no? Secret Avengers the, the yeah, that, book yeah the uh, Baker. I, I read the first and uh-huh. then, to be honest sort of dropped out of all the Avengers books after that. Oh really? Did you did you have much of an opinion one way or the other about Secret Avengers or? It was fine. I just I felt entirely uh, disconnected from all of them. I mean I I liked New Avengers I guess, mm-hmm. but but that was pretty much it. I mean, it, it was. Yeah, Secret Avengers, it, it existed. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I couldn't really say much more. I, it was it existed, it was professionally done, but I had no interest in it. Well, that's the thing that kind of interests me, is I'm three issues into Secret Avengers. It's it's moving along like a son of a bitch. Um, I like all the characterizations. I like the fact that uh, that, that Brubaker's bring, brought back you know, yet another Engelhart staple, you know, the Serpent Crown and Roxon and has added, you know, uh, Roxon Corporation and has added a whole extra level of like, you know, Cthulhu and met, you know, light interminglings of like the movie Total Recall and all sorts of stuff. And it's super, super professionally done. Like, you know, it, it just moves like a son of a bitch, but I found myself kind of going like, wow, I'm, Utterly, like I don't care. Like I'm not invested in this. You see, like, that's the thing. When you say when you describe it like that, I think that's a comic I really want to read. Mm-hmm. And but that does not in any way connect with my experience of the first issue. Oh, interesting. Interesting. Uh, yeah. Well, because I think it's that this is the same problem that I had actually with Dark Avengers. Is once he once Osborne's assembled the team, essentially. Uh, what happens is they get some sort of distress call because Morgana Le Fay is beating the crap out of Dr. Doom. And so the Dark Avengers kind of suit up and go off to help Dr. Doom. And it's a really, it's, it's such a, there's no stakes involved. You know what I mean? Like they're supposed to help Dr. Doom, which I guess in a way, like I'm supposed to care about, but I, but I really don't like there's so much that's there that like there's no real motivation for me to care. And Brubaker's stuff, which I think is done, uh, you know, sort of even more professionally and has more of what I say that I want to see, which, you know, which I kind of do at the same time, I find myself kind of going, huh, there's no real stakes here. I mean, even when they go to such great lengths of like, hey, Nova's on the team and now, you know, something's possessed him and the, the you know, there's weird ooky things brooding in, in, you know, from outside space that are trying to get in and, you know, there's this whole thing with Nick Fury that's like, what the hell's going on with him? And yet, and yet weirdly, like, there's all these hooks and yet they're strangely perfunctory and it's the same thing that i felt with bendis like i kind of wonder if marvel or at least the marvel stuff that i'm picking up unless it's superheroes beating the shit out of superheroes like a lot of writers can't quite figure out how to put any dramatic stakes in anything anymore 
You know what I mean? I don't know if that sounds like unnecessarily unfair or crass or. No, I I, I can I can kind of see what you're saying, but uh, I think what happens, at least for me with Marvel, or at least uh, a lot of the big books, quote unquote, with big, is that. Um, the writers get so involved with the meta story that they just can't make the story story work. Mm-hmm. Like Dark Avengers, for example, has no reason to exist. Mm-hmm. There is no point to the book. Well, well, see, but it, it exists for a year and then it goes away, and there's no the origin of the Dark Avengers isn't like is there, but the resolution is in another book, and the Dark mm-hmm. Avengers exists to serve the new status quo of Norman Osborn's in charge. Mm-hmm. The book does the book ex, the book exists to support that. The book mm-hmm. doesn't exist for any other reason. So you get them going off to help Doctor Doom, or you get them fighting the Molecule Man, and right. none of these stories have resolution in themselves. Right. There's no point to the stories. The stories are filler. Right. Um, or even some like you know Spider Man, and I like the new Spider Man books, but something like Grim Hunt, mm-hmm. like comes after what eight months or something of build-up where where the plot is spider-man meets an old villain the old villain is somehow more badass right spider-man's life sucks and if they if they thought about it as like story by story Mm -hmm. it would mean something more Mm -hmm. but they get so caught up in the uber story of um we're going to make take spider-man further than he's ever been right that Everything just becomes meaningless because it doesn't matter that he's just had a really shitty time with the rhino because next month he's going to have a really shitty time with the lizard and the month after that he's going to have a really shitty time. Do you know what I mean? And there's, there's no point for anyone to catch their bread and be like, wow, that was shitty. Like, right. it, it, there's so much bad thing, so many bad things happening mm-hmm. that they all become meaningless. Right. Because you don't get overwhelmed in the sense of, in the sense that they want you to get overwhelmed. You don't get overwhelmed in the sense of, wow, Peter truly run down. You get overwhelmed in the sense of, I don't care about any of this. Right. And so I, I feel that it's, it's what keeps happening with Marvel over and over again, that they, they get very excited by their own ideas, mm-hmm. but they get so excited, they lose the ability to communicate what people should be excited about. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, that, that, that makes a certain amount of sense to me. Although... Yeah, I guess that's probably it. Although, I, I don't know. Again, part of me feels like that might just be kind of the rule of thumb a little bit. I, like I said, my, you know, obviously the, the theory that I'm chasing is once comics kind of got into the stage where you sort of, you know, that idea of like the dramatic stakes always have to be super high and the real easy way to accomplish that is either hero versus hero or somebody close to the hero has to die and and those actually obviously have worked quite well for the industry i'm sort of wondering if you know if they have some problems once you take that out of the picture it's kind of like okay well so what are these motivations that were, you know, like when you make somebody that's kind of personally motivated, sort of, you know, it can be very hard to find a story to personally motivate them that isn't like, oh, God, once again, you know, like you said, Peter Parker's life is utter shit and he's dealing with, you know, a bigger menace than he ever faced before 
you know, it's it's a little bit of the diminishing return syndrome for the for the readers. You, you know, it's very strange. I mean, uh, I don't know if I don't know if you read my work on Techlands, Jeff. I don't know I, if I you have. I don't know if you read Douglas's work on Techlands, but we do this thing called Comic Book Club every week. And we yes, read yes. Comics, and then we talk about it. And this week we're talking about the the Daredevil Black and White special that just came out. Right. And what came up in all of us talking about it? Because it's Douglas and, and myself and uh, Lev Grossman and Evan and, and Steve and Peter and lots of people get involved. Mm-hmm. Is that none of us, none of us care enough about Daredevil, and none of us think Daredevil has existed for any real purpose other than people shitting on him since Frank Miller wrote him. <laughs> and it's just when you're talking about like characters being emotionally invested, mm-hmm. that it feels like Daredevil has is really stuck in that rut. Where mm-hmm. every single new writer comes on wants to do a story where Matt Murdock's personal life is torn to shreds, and so that's the only story he's had for like twenty years. Yeah, yeah. Well, or you know, or, I or mean, what? I mean, well, what, no, 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 no. Well, let's put it this way: since to me, since uh, since Kevin Smith's reboot, there have yeah. really only been five Daredevil writers. You know, so that's over a good chunk of time. But each one of them has done a variation on that. You know, Kevin Smith kind of did that. Then Bendis came in and sort of upped the ante on that. And then I thought Brubaker did a pretty good mix of sort of trying to put the character, you know, kind of set up a status quo and then kick it out again. And then, of course, yes, Diggle but took but over. But that's the thing. That's what I think always happens. You get the writer coming in and they're like, here's status quo. Only joking. It's become like Lucy holding the football. <laughs> right. Exactly. Well, and that's the problem. I think ultimately the the, the problem with uh, part of the problem with the comics these days, and Daredevil is kind of a perfect example of that, is the idea of like you set the character up, you set up the status quo, and then you're the one who has to fuck it up. Um, in part because if you don't, you're off the book, and the first thing the new writer cut does is they come in and they fuck up the status quo, you know? Yeah. But I, I, I don't feel like there's anything that's kind of... I, I, and it, which I think would be fine if, I, if there was just enough of a sense to kind of hang your hat on something, you know? Like, I, I enjoy... It's, you know, I read all of Bendis' run on Daredevil, and I, I read a huge chunk of, of Brubaker's and then I read like two issues by Diggle and, and in a way I thought that what where Diggle was going with it was kind of a great extension I mean I don't know how much longer he'll be able to run that thin line of like ooh Daredevil's a super villain but he's operating behind the scenes so he's not but he's in danger of being corrupted so he is, but he's not, you know. So like you're clearly not reading Shadowlands then. Well, exactly. I'm not. I picked up, I sort of looked at the first issue in the store like the week after it came out and annoyed everyone and thought about picking it up. But yeah, that, well, but but that's just, is issue two out already or no? I don't know, but all I know is like with the, the new teasers that are coming, it looks like they're just writing my murder cat for the bit. Right, right. But, you know, I'm not necessarily sure that I'm going to buy into that yet, so... Well, it's Marvel, so obviously not. I mean... Right. You know. Right. Well, I mean, even if they write him out for a good five or, you know, for a two-year arc and then bring him back or whatever, I... Oh, I yeah. He'll end up back, no matter what happens. Even if they kill him off, Matt Murdock sure. will be Daredevil again at some point in the future. Exactly. Exactly. Actually, at, at, the, at San Diego, I was really impressed by Jim Lee's openness about the Wonder Woman thing. Mm-hmm. Jim Lee said it right. He's like, it's the death of Superman. Anyone who thinks that 
the Wonder Woman, as you know her, is not going to be back, is deluding themselves. And I thought that was wonderful of him just to come in and say it. No, and I, I think that's actually, uh, it's not such a, it's not such a bad idea. I mean, you know, there's, there's, uh, I don't know, you know, I, I, I'm kind of, I'm enjoying, I, of course I enjoy, you know, enjoyed Bucky being back and actually being the new Captain America. I'm, I'm happy with, you know, Dick Grayson as Batman and I'm kind of curious where Morrison's going to go with Batman Incorporated. And, uh, you know, so I'm, I, there are things where, where they change things up and I'm, I'm happy for it. And I, you know, it might only be for five or six years or something and then they'll, screw things up all over again i don't know but uh but i i don't know i i'm i'm fascinated by because i have read your guys comic book shop stuff although i i've been i admit that i'm behind on techland by about a week oh jeffrey i know i know yeah i don't even know why you talk to me Um, i know neither do i (laughs) good day i say good day (laughs) i say good day uh, yeah. Uh, well, you're very kind, Graham, is, is, and you're kind to our listeners. We're just staying together for the listeners. It's like one of those troubled marriages that stay together for the kids. Exactly. You are all of our kids' listeners. <laughs> uh, okay, so uh, talking about, like, status quo is going back in Marvel. Are right. you reading One Moment in Time, the, the Spider-Man arc? No, I'm not. You should. Uh, you shouldn't. You shouldn't. Buy it. You should read it. <laughs> it's it's really really terrible. It's it's such a misfire. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of stunned that it's seeing print the way it's seeing print. Well, I, I kind of thought that it was a mistake for them to to do it because honestly, it struck me as again one of those kind of weird, relatively rare missteps from Marvel. Is like they're like, okay, here we come, one moment in time, and I'm like, you know what? I feel like the books finally started to like crawl out from underneath the onus of the whole, you know, one more day thing. Like yeah, if- that, that's one of the reasons I think it's such a misstep. Mm-hmm. Who really cares what happens? And not only that, when you see the explanation in the flashback. It's incredibly weak. The, the idea that someone might have been waiting three years for this uh-huh. is... They, I can't see how they wouldn't be disappointed. Really? Yeah, it's 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 a, a, an amazing um, mistake. And it's one of those things where, you know, it's Joe Quesada who's writing it. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. quite clearly, I you know, even if Steve Wacker hates it, it's probably right. going to get through one way or another. Yeah. But... Um, yeah, it's 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 terrible, and it's it's terrible in such a way that it's surprising because it's so at odds with what the Spider-Man books have been mm-hmm. since One More Day. It, I mean, it's literally like imagine all of that shit didn't happen. I mean, tonally, it's just it's straight back to One More Day. Well, that's kind of the feeling that I got from it. I mean, apart from kind of a pretty cover or something, uh, I was just like, I yeah, no, this is the. Li- What's amazing is they. Are taking the, the annual, the the actual, uh, you know, yeah. Paul Ryan drawn annual with mm-hmm. the Nicolette Eggs and doing that, and then inserting different panels in it to say this is what really happened. Um, and so even that doesn't work. Like visually, it doesn't work. You know, there's a disconnect between Paul Rivera's art and Paul Ryan's art. And there's <laughs> disconnects between like the lettering looks different, the coloring looks different. You know, it's it's there's it's, and they're not even saying like you know this is version one, this is version two. They're saying, you know, here's what you've already seen. Here's what you haven't seen. Right. They're pretending it's the same thing. So there's this terrible disconnect. And 
yeah, it's just, it's horrible. Like, so it goes, it's pretty much like, oh, and also the reason that the marriage didn't happen in the new reality mm-hmm. is just hilariously bad. Spider-Man fights a guy, right. gets knocked out by Cinderblock, wakes mm-hmm. up underneath the guy who is unconscious on top of him, and isn't strong enough to lift him off him. Oh, so they actually, he's underneath a guy that's like heavier than Steve Ditko's 45,000 pounds of, Exactly, you know, yes. Wow. Yes. That's such a chump move. I can't even believe it's, how it's, bad I mean, that it's, is. It's, it's insanely weak. And then he goes to Mary Jane to apologize. And Mary Jane gives him the speech, which is essentially, I wanted to marry you, but then I realized you're always going to be Spider-Man. And so I can't marry you because if I married you, I'd have to be a ba- I'd have to have babies with you. And what? if I had babies with you, then one day you would die. And it's like, what? And then she's like, but I still love you and I'm going to live with you. I mean, it, it's, it's mind-bending and, and shows a, a, an, amazing, um, an amazing glimpse into how Joe Quesada views marriage and women, I think. Right. Right. I mean, really, it's, it's, it's amazing. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm, I, you know, which is funny because I think there was something where, again, a lot of critics, when he was talking a lot about his their justifications, you know, outside the story for the need for one more day, it really was kind of, uh, you know, there were a lot of people who were kind of like, wow, this guy's um, ideas about marriage seem a little um, prohibitive, I guess. Yeah, it, you know? it's. Yeah, and what's kind of amusing for me is that I've, uh, to talk about what I've been getting at the library, I've been getting the uh, Joe Straczynski Spider-Mans, which I've never read before. Yeah. Um, and what's really interesting for me is that run at least starts with, like, the strongest argument for them being married. I know. I've read. I know, doesn't it? I mean... Um, and so the idea that, like, his run that ends with splitting them up does literally does not compute. Like, my brain kind of explodes at the idea that the same man who wrote those, the, like, the issues at the start would be okay with bre- breaking them up and undoing it. That, yeah. That, that does not make sense to me. Mm-hmm. Um, but also... I think it underlines for me why it's perfectly okay for Peter to be married. Do you know what I mean? Like, because you can have the, you, everything that they that Marvel said they wanted with uh, Peter Parker, mm-hmm. you can have within a marriage. And the idea that someone being married makes you old and boring and settled is entirely in their mindset. No, I know. Someday somebody's going to do like the most awesome fucking comic book about a married superhero you know whether they're married to another superhero or not and it's just going to be great you know um because it is as as somebody who's like you know been married like all of you know almost five years i'm like it's such a great experience you know and there's lots of great ways to to do it I don't know. The, the, the other thing that was really strange about Marvel's, like, you know, making Peter Parker married makes him boring thing is, mm-hmm. honestly, that strikes me as the thought process of someone who's never been married. Well, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, it, it's, yeah. it seems such a, a childish attitude mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that there is no conflict within a marriage. Like, really strikes me. I mean, I know I'm not even talking about, like, between the husband and wife. 
you know... Big Mike does not solve all the other problems. Do you know what well, I mean? Like, you, he still has to worry about rent. He still... Like, there's sure. all these other things yeah, that yeah, are yeah. still issues. And that, for some reason, they were like, well, he's married, therefore none of this is an issue anymore. Makes no sense. I know. I know. Um, you know, I, I do think that there is, to me, the the one thing that uh, is, that, that's the killer, per se, um, just, just generally having thought about you know some stories about things like this because um, uh, is the rom- the concept of romantic tension the one thing that's actually very problematic is once you have a couple come together in theory there's no more there's no more romantic tension to kind of get out of that now there's other forms of tension or whatever but mm-hmm. but romantic tension and drama is actually pretty pretty powerful one of the things that I thought was so brilliant about um, for of many things uh, that was so brilliant out of uh, Jessica Stevenson and Edgar Wright and uh, Simon Pegg's uh, Spaced is the way that sort of the, the sitcom conceit of having the two characters end up rooming together um, and pretending to be a couple is that you have just a little bit of sort of romantic chemistry with them, but you also get to have all the great comedy that comes from having that comes from being in a relationship with someone else where your completely bizarre, insane idiosyncrasies are, you know, hilarious to the other person, you know? Um, And that's one of the things that I think is a real strength about space. There's actually, uh, I'm, I'm watching uh, season four of weeds, which, you know, I, I talked about the first couple of seasons on, um, on Savage Critic as well. And season four has actually been much stronger than, than the other seasons, I think, for the most part. Um, although, you know, it ends up being a very different show. But at one, they, they, they hit a really interesting dynamic of sort of how to make two, the two of the characters in the show sort of be a couple and yet still keep romantic chemistry between them. And, mm-hmm. and I think that's, that's really hard to do. So I, I do, I think that there's a way in which people like looking at the classic Spider-Man stories, there's an idea that there's a lot of romance there and it's very hard to get romantic tension when you've got a character married. And I'm not saying like the idea of him dating around or single or, you know, will the marriage survive or won't it? It's just kind of, uh, you know, romantic tension is different than the type of tension that you have once you're actually a couple and you're together. Um, mm-hmm. And that's a that's kind of a complex thing to recreate, the latter. The former, like romantic tension, is really, really super easy. And I think that's part of the reason why it's kind of easier. Because I thought J. Michael Straczynski, his, his run on Spider-Man, I really enjoyed it... Um, despite itself because there's a lot of things he did with the character that I just, I was like, this is so not right for a Spider-Man story. On the other hand, between him and when John Romita Jr. was doing the art, there were things that I really liked about it. And Peter and Mary Jane's relationship, like he spent a lot of time trying to figure out a context and a way to make it work, to have there be drama in it without the drama being kind of the really eye-rolling, like, I hate you. How can you keep being Spider-Man? Can't you see what you're doing to yourself and or us kind of thing? You know, that whole buzzkill thing. He he went out of his way to avoid that and come up with other things that would make 
they're sort of there's have them be separated and missing each other and wanting to be together even though they're already together you know I, I thought he did a lot of really nice stuff with that but maybe they just felt like yeah that's great joe but you know we can't we're not going to be able to get that out of everybody it's really much easier to just kind of have it if you know as a, if we have him as a single person i guess i don't know what i mean i'm incredibly amused that we're actually genuinely discussing whether spider-man like one more day three years after it happened um right. and well also, we would also, be also, i think like yeah. i i think it's kind of funny that we're i feel like we're both coming out uh in favor of the former status quo when at least i have really enjoyed the like the, the brand new day forward run i think it's been a better because nothing to do with the marriage i just think the books have been better right do you know what i mean like i think they've they've had a better idea of what to do with the character mm-hmm. um but it's just i don't know it one one moment in time is just i i, I feel it's one of these things that is not going to, it's going to end up being remembered as being horrifically mistimed and done badly right uh, well yeah and, and i i think I, you know, I'd love to think that you know, they will they will know that and they will recognize that, but they probably won't. And you know, it'd be nice for them to realize that not everything has to be tied up. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like, I I know there are people who are like, what did they say? But if you're going to move forward, move forward. Don't move forward for three years and then go. Oh, and you know, right. the people who are reading this book now probably don't care about this. But three right. years ago, this you know, it's like no. Yeah. No, I, I agree with you. I think that's that. Really, the timing is just terrible. And like you said, I, you know, the fact that we're talking back to talking about one more day when neither of us really have that much interest in it. It's it, it brings up this thing. I, I myself would like a happy medium in that I would every time I jump on to try to jump onto the Amazing Spider-Man books, the rotating teams just end up killing it for me. So really. Yeah, I mean that's the thing. I can see why they're talking about ending the, the that sort of weekly concept. But yeah, I don't. I you know Joe Kelly's okay, Chris Bacalo not so much. Marcos Martin is great. I enjoy Mark Wade's stuff. Um, you know, and then Dan Slott is kind of a a you know it's a coin toss. But I don't. Maybe if I was going to the comic book store every week and I could say, oh, pick this up. No, I'll leave this one back. Oh, I'll pick this one up. But I'm not I'm not going to sign up. You know, usually what I do is I sign up for a book and then, um, you know, it gets pulled. And then I go in at this point, it's like once a month. And then I, you know, try and scurry around and try and find some of the stuff that had come out that wasn't on my pull list that people have said good things about. Mm-hmm. Um but I, well, yeah, I'm not I'm... read it. Read it in collections, which is what I ended up doing. Uh huh. Um, purely because I was also going in like once a month for a long mm-hmm. time, and and would miss issues. Right. Uh, and so I started reading it in collections, and I feel it it's it works a lot better. Right. I I can probably see that. Um, because again, it's that. Well, and, and are there? Do you like all the teams equally? Is it not a problem when? Oh it's, no, when there's, it's there's, there's there's there's. Well, the, the collections are basically like, you know... Right, two, one arc. Two, or... two arcs or, or one arc by the same mm-hmm. team. So, mm-hmm. it's, so you know, it's like, uh, it, this one's written by, insert name of writer, I don't like that I probably don't want to piss off. Uh, you know, I'm <laughs> always... Hey, so some people working in that book are really touchy. Uh, right. <laughs> um, 
No, but you know, it's, I put this way: I don't. Of all the writers, I don't dislike any of them. Mm-hmm. Um, it's I like them to varying degrees. I think that uh, I think they're probably Dan Slott and I've completely forgotten uh, Bob Gale are are the writers I like least. Mm-hmm. Um, Is Gale oh, still on the book? He's now doing the Peter Parker web series. Uh. Pun unintended. Um, <laughs> so yeah, he's he's still involved. Uh, okay. uh, but no, I, you know, if it's if it's Joe Kelly or Zeb Wells or, or Mark Wade writing, I, I'm totally there. I think they they all do a great job. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I uh, I you know I should in a way I should be more. Th- this is the thing that's frustrating. Is is like, um, at least for me, I'm very torn between the idea of like, well, I want to you know check these book, you know, checking the books out of the library has been great for me to sort of check things out and see whether I like them or not but in terms of like um, I'm, I'm also aware that my money is not being spent at the comic book store which I do feel is kind of important these days too at the same time so it's kind yeah, of yeah but at the same time does it stop you buying something because what I'm getting out of the library is stuff that I would never buy well, yeah exactly, <laughs> exactly. Mean, like never buy and in many cases wouldn't read right Right, exactly. No, and that's that's also something that I'm I'm finding is is the once it's if someone just handed it to me free and said you can keep this forever and read it when you get around to it, it's by and large if I'm not that into it, I it's not going to get read. Weirdly enough, having it with the library where it's like, oh, this thing's got to go back in two days, I'm going to make the time to sit down and at least flip through it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that that does make a huge difference. So, the, the, I mean, the only thing I can think that I got at the library recently and didn't buy and was considering buying was Essential Cuts in America Five. Mm, ooh, wait, you were thinking of not buying that purely because I am not made of money, sir. Ah, <laughs> uh, gee, this is where I get the chance to insert that Graham McMillions joke. There. <laughs> Thanks very much. <laughs> I love Graham McMillions. I think that could be like the most awesome comic book story like ever, dude. Like you could be like an Uncle Scrooge character, like in the most awesome way, or like Richie Rich, but you'd also look like you. It would be rad. Dear listeners, this is a conversation we had at San Diego. <laughs> I'm not joking. We've had this conversation before. Was David Brothers there? Was I who was with David? I, you it know, was, wasn't it? It was yeah. Jimmy and David, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that, that's, it's it's still not getting any older, Jeff. <laughs> Dude, I love it. Actually, you know, the thing that's great is, I, I don't think I told you this, but remember the guy who um, stood in line in front of us during that conversation? Yeah. Um, do, do we know who he is yet? Uh, you know, we kind of do. Let's see if I can find his card. Uh, Did he give you a card? Well, well, okay, but see, okay, this is the thing that's funny. Is like, after we had lunch with Matt and Sarah and Jeff and David, and we were heading back to the con from the Indian place, Yes, th- there was that whole bizarre sort of situation where the crossing bridge... Yes, thing. yeah, yeah, we lost you. You disappeared, I remember that. Exactly, because you guys went forward and we sort of stayed stuck behind because we weren't sure whether we were pro being run down or just kind of lukewarm on the concept. So we were hanging back there, and the thing that was great is the guy who was behind us in line 
walked by me and I was like, hey, how's your con doing? He's like, oh, hey, I just saw Graham McMillions walk right by me. (laughs) Oh, man. It was the best. He's like, it was Graham McMillions. I totally saw him. Um, He was Oh, God, please let this not become a thing. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it was to him. And I am so sorry that I don't have his card with me because at that point that's when he gave me the card well do you know who was waiting in line behind us for the majority of that no no idea all carnell oh was that the brit that was there that somebody greeted yes somebody greeted him at some point and i was like okay who is this guy and i was staring at him at a few points and i couldn't that's really that was paul carnell huh because we were talking about comics for like two seconds, his action run is awesome. Yeah, are yeah, you, yeah. Reading that? No, no, no. And I, I'm going to oh, pick it up because I've heard good things. Yeah. Yeah. I, I told you before. Like the first issue ends with. I told you like the end of the first issue, didn't I? Uh, or was it someone else I was spoiling it for? You, who can tell, Graham? You said. <laughs> do you, you do you want me to spoil it for you? Yes, please do. Mister um, Mind is the villain. That it reveals at the end of the first issue. Oh, that's awesome. And it's not like the 52 version, who is right. like big butterfly, evil butterfly. No, it's a small worm. Yeah, with the with the radio around his... I yes. love that version. That's... Yes. Yeah, that would be great. And then the next issue is Mr. Mind's basically putting Lex Luthor in lots of cliched scenarios to try and trap him in his own mind. And Lex Luthor, for the most part, is just like, I am a genius. Stop doing this. <laughs> no, I'm looking... I, I, I was... Honestly, the whole hook for the series sounded quite strong actually and i was like yeah i'd love to check this out and first couple of issues in have have gotten good reviews i'm like yeah i will go and grab this at the store i'm just kind of bummed that we were that basically the man whose room david brothers was sleeping in you know uh was standing right behind him in the pro registration line yeah that is very very funny (laughs) Okay, well, it's been 50 it's been, minutes. Yeah, 49 minutes and 48 seconds. See, you're on it. So should I? Should we stop and I call you back and then we yes, do... Yes, let's, let's do another one. Yay. Yay. Sure. Also, I have, have we talked about anything interesting to the listeners? Like, do you think anyone's... Did we, did we reach any conclusions? I, it, you know, it was so scattershot. I thought you, of course, did a better job than me. I just sort of generally talked around things, but... We mentioned a lot of books, so listeners, leave comments and tell us if we actually had came to any conclusions. This Please, time. yeah, and, even, even and we'll we try much harder next time. Yes, and by next time we mean in like, like... yeah, two minutes from now. <laughs> <laughs> for us, but for you, who knows? Whenever I get around to the post. <laughs> <laughs>